Alright everyone, welcome to episode 26 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I interviewed strength and wellness coach Kevin Kahn. On this episode, me and Kevin discussed many topics including Kevin's background, influences, his nutritional philosophy, his take on supplements and also Kevin's take on the recent fish oil study. There are many other topics discussed on the show and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Okay, Mr. Kevin Can, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. Just for anyone who isn't too familiar with who you are in your background, just fill us in. Hi, uh, it's great to be here. I'm a strength coach and nutritionist out in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, basically, I run an overall wellness program, so we exercise to move better, we eat to lose weight, be healthy, and uh, we just kind of view health as an all-inclusive process. So it's never just one thing cures one thing, we try to do it many positive things to input quality health as possible. Who um who would you say have been your biggest influences so far with it within your within your career, both as a as a coach, a wellness coach and as a person? Uh, as a wellness coach in general, uh, from the exercise standpoint I great coach I think is a a big, big piece of my background in the strength coach. Literally everybody who comes into my gym we do FMS screening and that depicts their warm-ups for the rest of their time with me for the most part. Mike, Mike Boyle out in uh, Boston, Massachusetts has been a big influence from that perspective as well. And then uh, from the nutrition side, Lauren Cordain, Boyd Eaton, Rob Wolf, uh, they've been great help along the way to allowing me to actually help out my clientele in a way that, you know, in the beginning it just wasn't working that way. What would you say are the, the biggest problems you see within, first of all, let's just say strength and conditioning, and then second of all, what are the biggest problems you see within nutrition and health and wellness? Uh, for the strength and conditioning piece, I think one of the, the biggest things we face is that like, it's typical American attitude, the harder the better. And we live in a state of just chronic overall stress. So basically we're in a depressed sleep window, we poor vitamin D levels, especially here in the Northeast. And then we think... You know, we get a little bit overweight and we think we can just run away from poor lifestyle habits. So then a lot of my clients will do, you know, these boot camps and CrossFit and these really intense, running a ton of miles. They just work out so intensely that when there's already adrenal issues, it just ends up piggybacking on it and they can't understand why they work out so hard and they're still gaining weight or they can't lose weight and they just feel like complete crap all the time. Uh, from a nutritional standpoint, I think it's the fact that we think our human bodies are just a basic algebra equation, like we can just energy balance. It's a big part of it, but it's not as easy as just counting calories. Uh, calories in, calories out is a very, very tiny piece of the dynamic hormonal response our body goes through on a day-to-day basis. There's so many hormones and so much different cellular pathways that get affected by every lifestyle choice that we make, including sleep, nutrition, exercise, all that stuff. So, I've got low calories, there's nothing worse that you can do to your body than exercise at super high intensities and then not fuel your body with the amount of calories or the amount of nutrients it needs to recover from that. That's a very fast way to feeling pretty crappy. If I was to ask you what is your nutritional philosophy, what, what would you say to me? So basically we start with a paleo template. Uh, so we remove grains, legumes, dairy, they come out. Uh, right off the bat. And then from here, there's a lot of tinkering. So it's basically just like meat, fish, eggs, veggies, and then we throw starch in the meal to 
everything in my practice, we all eat three meals per day. So we don't snack throughout the day. We don't eat six meals. And the biggest reason for this is the hormones involved. So like insulin, insulin itself, it has a, uh, like phase one insulin secretion takes about 10 minutes. It's actually stored insulin in the pancreas. So it releases that initial phase. Then our beta cells start producing it as it goes along. And insulin takes about two to three hours to actually wipe itself clear of the bloodstream. And that once insulin wipes itself clear of the bloodstream, we get other hormones like glucagon, the opposite hormone of insulin that comes, mobilizes, uh, stores glycogen in the liver, uh, and starts stimulating fatty acid release into the bloodstream. So this is kind of our fat-burning stage. What happens when you piggyback to either if it's snacks or if it's meals, that insulin is still in the system. So you get, say, you're eating every three hours. There's still insulin in the system, but pancreas hasn't had time to build up that reserve. So that, that phase one insulin secretion isn't there, and actually phase one insulin secretion is an uh, independent factor of type 2 diabetes. So you are literally dieting and forcing uh, almost a type 2 diabetic reaction in your pancreas. So by spacing out the meals like that, you get you know, about equal time insulin, equal time glucagon at the same time, so it actually helps regulate some of the hormones. Okay, so, so you, you go off a paleo-type template, but what you're saying is... We, paleo is the, is the philosophy, but how we individualize it is through the macronutrients. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The macronutrient, uh, it ranges greatly. Like, especially like if you're, uh, if you are an athlete or you, you do work out at high levels, you do need to add more suction. And actually, like, more elite level athletes, those will be the ones who actually eat the five or six meals a day just because it's impossible in three meals to keep up with the caloric demand. Okay. With, with, with regards to the meal spacing, the three, three meals a day, it's, it's actually exactly what I do with, with my clients too. But the reason I did it was actually um, through reading Byron Richardson's work and, and then subsequently Jack, Jack Cruz and they talked about snacking ruins liver metabolism. So is that something else you would do as well? And obviously, as you mentioned, with the insulin secretion. Yeah, yeah, we don't even, yeah, we don't snack nothing. Like, even even healthy snacks are going to raise insulin levels. Yeah. And plus on top of it, too, so the other hormones, like your leptin and adrenaline. But there's insulin re- resistance. There's definitely leptin resistance, and there's going to be adrenaline resistance for all three inch lot. Yeah. So making sure that, you know, the insulin levels aren't coming down. Because, uh, I mean, if you're, you know, hyperinsulinemia, hyperinsulinemia all day long, you got to run into a leptin problem, so then feeding is going to get all jacked up um, for the amount of calories you're taking in. And then once that adrenaline resistance takes in, you can't release fatty acids. So you get really, really good at storing fat and really bad at being able to release it. That's where your weight gain comes from. What about just, just tailoring off that? Because this is something that I'm kind of just contemplating with myself. With regards to the three meals and, and the, the hormonal regulation, what do you do in the case of hypertrophy then, Kevin, when someone needs to get more calories and are you just making those three meals bigger or would you say to them, you know, it's okay for you maybe to eat a fourth or fifth time because of, you know, because your body actually is requiring more of these nutrients? What what would your take be for hypertrophy then? Yeah, if their if the goal was, even if this is performance or if it's for hypertrophy, uh, sometimes you do need to add in extra meals. It's just, it becomes impossible to keep up with the caloric demand. Yeah. Uh, the macronutrients, whatever they take in, it, it doesn't really matter to me. Because uh, fat by weight is actually about 70, uh, muscles by weight are about 75% fat. So just eating more calories will allow you to get bigger amounts of adequate protein. So like 35 grams of protein per meal tends to be pretty good for most of uh, the athletes I have. Or like an average person might take in 
do you do any functional lab testing with your clients? Uh, no, we don't. I actually, the only, uh, the testing that we do, so I have a, uh, so I work a lot with neurotransmitter deficiency. So one of like the biggest things that when people were coming to my gym, the food deficiencies and then the, having the energy to actually work out. And when I started really looking into it, like I realized that neurotransmitters are a huge, huge piece of this. So I should test everybody via questionnaire to find those, uh, deficiencies and then we use specific amino acid treatment to uh, increase energy, increase mood. Like my whole idea is if people are more energetic and happy to be there, they're going to keep coming there and they're going to see the results that they want to see. Very good, very but good. Then, could you touch a little more into that? So what, what, what would the amino acid protocol be? It'd probably be individual for every person, but could, could you go into a little more depth with, with that? Yeah, sure. So uh, the, big, the big one's the mood. So like... Uh, we got norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, GABA, and serotonin. So basically, uh, norepinephrine, norepinephrine and epinephrine are uh, adrenaline, a fight or flight response neurotransmitter. They're actually responsible. They free up fatty acids in the bloodstream. Dopamine is our hunt and reward neurotransmitter, so it's responsible for like memory and focus. Uh, a good example is like. Uh, dopamine deficiency would be like this is what we see with like cocaine addiction and stuff but also like just even simple shopping addiction so looking in at the windows actually that's something you want to buy actually raises dopamine levels in the brain yeah. shopping addiction can come in serotonin is the one that's actually responsible for keeping away depression and anxiety it allows us to deal with stress uh, they all do and, and same with GABA GABA is one of our biggest inhibitory neurotransmitters like our natural balance chronic stress, not eating enough protein, a, a number of different negative lifestyle variables as neurotransmitters become deficient. Uh, so if you have a hard time waking up in the morning, uh, this is when dopamine should be high, it should be making you alert, ready to attack your day. Um, if you have trouble focusing, trouble with memory, like these are all symptoms of low dopamine, we'll throw in some tyrosine. So typically start at 500 milligrams of tyrosine first thing in the morning and then in between uh, breakfast and lunch. Sugar cravings too tend to be tied to low dopamine levels, especially in the afternoon. They can actually be tied to serotonin. So if you have food cravings in the afternoon, if you suffer from anxiety, we have negative mood. That's when we'll I'll use either five HTP or tryptophan. So five yeah. HTP is fifty milligrams, tryptophan five hundred milligrams, and we do that in between lunch and dinner. And then I I like to give another dose around like eight p.m. Because uh, serotonin at nighttime, once the light comes down, if I'm not around too much artificial light, yeah. that serotonin should be converted to melatonin, should make it easier to sleep. And then GABA, I just kind of use during high stress time. Yeah. So if somebody gets really stressed out sitting in traffic, 100 to 500 milligrams of GABA, and hopefully it calms them down. You, you touched on, um, you just touched on sleep there, which is, I have to like, circadian rhythms of sleep are my big baby because I think it's, like just my big baby with clients, but I think the reason it is that is because it, it, when I sorted out my own circadian rhythms, it was the biggest impact on my health anything ever made. I used to wake up with chronic headaches, 
like up until about oh. 18 months ago two years ago and it was because my blood sugar was just completely dysregulated because I was around my laptop at night time and now like for the past 18 months like my sleep has been so regimented like as in just sort of my circadian rhythms are purely locked in I, I wake up like fresh every morning like it's just and my health is just blossomed and I can just feel that my blood sugar and energy throughout the day and when I integrate this with other people they just can't believe the difference but can you touch on circadian rhythms you, you know you touched on it there with regards to the serotonin not turning to melatonin and dopamine levels uh, I can agree more with the circadian rhythm piece like you need to sleep better if sleep is not that needs to be that is one of the first things we take care of because if you're not sleeping properly there's stuff that's just really really wrong yeah. so basically like in the thing with circadian rhythm is it's not just cortisol that follows up circadian rhythm all of our hormones do so leptin basically should be low in the morning high at night time so if you feel the need at, like late at night to eat or you wake up in the middle of the night hungry that's a sign that there's some leptin resistance going on there that's bad news insulin actually also follows a circadian rhythm as well so once that, that gets jacked up it literally jacks up every single one of our hormones uh, basically what um, I tend to see is low cortisol in the morning and high cortisol at night tends to be the um, when it should be in the reverse yeah so I, that's what but, I see too. Yeah, it's so, it's so, so common. Uh, so basically what I try to start with is just improving the sleep. So I use uh, phosphorylated serine with clients at nighttime. Uh, the brand is Seropose. And they'll take one to two tablets, roughly like nine-ish. So hopefully like what it should do is it kind of makes that HPA access a little more receptive to cortisol signal. And it tends to even kind of help them sleep better, and that tends to fix the, the morning stuff. But uh, if that doesn't work, then we do like an ASI test, and we'll go from there. Just with regards to um, a client coming to you, Kevin, so what what is your system? So I come in and I say, hi, Kevin, I'm Robbie. I, I, I want to come train with you. I hear, I hear good things, and... You know, I, I want to lose a bit of weight. I'm a bit fatigued during the day. Like, what what's the protocol? You, what you do FMS? You do a questionnaire for health? Is that it, or what what else do you do? That, that's actually that's exactly what we do. We do the FMS, and then they have like a it's a really general health questionnaire that asks a bunch of like like family history type of stuff, uh, what they've done for dieting in the past, uh, all that stuff. And then I have a a pretty lengthy questionnaire, which. It shows that neurotransmitters may be deficient, but then there's other categories of it that actually, um, it has like adrenal fatigue questions. So like this would be like, if they end up showing like, wow, like their adrenal fatigue numbers or their thyroid numbers are really messed up, uh, then it may be appropriate that like, hey, this is what you're showing. We probably need to get some lab work done. Yeah, yeah. That's that's actually exactly what I do. I, I go by, if the health questionnaire looks real bad, I'm like, I'm sorry, but... I'm not trying to tell you actually you have to get these tests. It would be just irresponsible for me to train. I, I need some objective data now. Yeah, and uh, one of the big things too is a lot of people who end up coming in front of me for nutritional health, they're, they're just super stressed out basically. And uh, I even have them take some time off from working out in general, like two, three weeks, just like rest. Let's get all these like hormones and the neurotransmitters where they should be and the dosage is right. And then from there, we'll ease, we'll ease back into it and stuff. But sometimes, like, people just beat themselves up trying to reach that, that goal. Yeah, it's so that for some another. It, it, it actually that's funny too because I've had a number of clients where they came to me just for like oh, I want to you know get fitter or lose weight or, or like lose weight is the big one 
and like you see them and you just know straight you're like exercise is actually dangerous for you right now your body does not have the adaptability to cope with the extra stress of exercise so i'm always like i will train you in two weeks if you follow this protocol so like this just a basic kind of just i don't want to say detox because it's basically just like a real food diet but to their body it will be a detox and then just proper sleep like and if they do that for two weeks then i'm like okay maybe we can start worrying about doing some exercise now yeah no no that's a really good point too if you take like somebody who's eating a lot of refined carbohydrates and that's primarily where their calories are coming from and you just completely remove the majority of their diet and make it more fat and protein like they just, they just their body's going to go into like a really confused state of how to even handle intense exercise so a lot of times it's, it's just good to like get that waiting period out of the way let your body adjust can you speak about leptin um, like how how much stock do you put on leptin the, the one thing I find when we'll, we'll talk about Ray Pete in a while but uh, there's a lot of people who are big Ray Pete followers and all this but the one thing I find about Ray is he mentions nothing about leptin and a lot of Ray's science that he quotes is, is a very old science done back not, not to say that it's bad but it's like it's a lot of old science and when he mentioned leptin he doesn't seem to have much about leptin and then when he actually even mentioned like cold adapted animals versus warm adapted animals I, I think there's a there is an incongruency there with some of that work of what Ray and maybe someone like Jack Cruz talks about but what is your take on left and where do you see it in the grand scheme of health and wellness do you think it's do you think it's it's up there with the holy grail where Brian Richards and Jack Cruz talk about it, or do you think it's not as big a deal well I think it's as big a deal I don't think it's any bigger than like insulin adrenaline all the other hormones I, I think this is the problem uh, with nutritional research or even any type of physiology research is it's always one thing needs to be the answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think, you know, it, it becomes a, like our bodies are in a state of natural balance. There's a checks and balances system for everything. And it's when that checks and balances system gets thrown out of whack that we're going to run into problems. Lesson is a huge, huge piece of it. It's, I mean, it wasn't discovered until 1994, so we know very, very little of what it actually does. Yeah. It's going to be a piece of it. I don't, and I, I don't think we'll ever solve this problem of health and disease until we actually just kind of step back, look at the body as a whole, and figure out how these hormones, how they communicate with one another, cellular pathways, and their, their signaling, and how they communicate with one another, and how. Because I, I would even, if everything was in natural balance, I don't think refined foods would necessarily be as bad as they are when everything is just completely out of whack. Not that we should ever go back to eating a whole bunch of refined foods. Yeah, but it wouldn't affect us as much. Yeah. I know what you're so saying. I think it's just a disruption in that natural state of balance and leptin is a big, big piece of that. So so you mean you mean a low carb diet isn't the answer? I'm saying whoever <laughs> figure out that answer is gonna make billions of dollars. Um so as as we talked about before we got online there this this new fish oil study that came out with the prostate cancer you said you you'd like to speak about that so here's your chance yeah i i glanced over that study and uh there's been other negative fish oil studies documented at least in the last five six years might even go back a little bit further uh the problem here is i think and this is kind of the, the same thing i was just saying how kind of if we're in a stress out phase we find grain catapult it to the next level. So if we're getting the majority of our fat calories from like vegetable oils and polyunsaturated fat, you can't just piggyback more polyunsaturated fat on top of that and then think because that omega-6, omega-3 balance is more natural that it's going to be okay. If there's excess amount of polyunsaturated 
movements are just that. Like, there's probably stuff in vegetables and meat sources that we don't even know exist yet. So there, there's probably something there that creates greater health that, you know, maybe we haven't even identified all the vitamins and minerals out there yet. So I, I encourage people to eat, you know, one to two servings of fatty fish per week. You know, it's not omega-3, and at the same time, if we remove all the vegetable oils and uh, omega-6 fats from our diet, which is one, not is another big thing, especially in the uh, real food group. Like, it tends to be a, uh, like a food source that people will just gnaw down snacks of, and they're getting, you know, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 calories of nuts, and they're high in omega-6 fats, so removing as many omega-6 fats as we can, adding fish in the diet, that'll work every time. Who knows about supplementation? It may be great, it may not be. How I use it in my practice, if somebody comes to me with jacked up metabolically, we're going to start with some fish oil supplementation for, you know, maybe three to six months, but then we're going to lean off of it, make sure it's fish in the diet. But it, it can be scary. You can't just put your back more color and saturated fat in a diet that's already high on it and expect it to Okay. All right, yeah, so the fish oil study I glanced at uh, quickly, the one shot on that, it may lead to prostate cancer. And uh, the biggest thing with it is uh, a lot of times people aren't removing those omega-6 fats from the diet and the supplementation ends up just piggybacking on top of one another. So you can't correct uh, diet high in vegetable oil with adding more omega-3. So even though that omega-3 and omega-6 balance may be in a more natural state, we're just getting too much of it. And then and that's where it'll begin to oxidize, and that's where it'll cause uh, all kinds of problems. Plus, uh, the fish oil studies aren't really some of the greatest that have been done. I remember reading one of them that actually said that the benefits of fish oil have been grossly overstated in the research. And then uh, most of them are short-term studies, too. So basically, in my um, practice what we do with the fish oil supplementation is if somebody comes to me who's really metabolically compromised, we'll do more high, you know, two to four grams of EPA, DHA per day for like three to six months. And then as they start showing, you know, on their general lab work, sort of glucose tolerance, the weight's coming down, the sleep's improving, as everything starts pointing in the right direction, we'll take them off of the fish oil and make sure we're eating one to two servings of fish per week to actually get that, uh, those good omega-3 fats while removing the uh, high intake of omega-6 fatty acids. So do, do you think it would be worthwhile maybe looking at a C-reactive protein test, like so someone's inflammatory levels, someone's inflammation levels, before maybe recommending fish oil? Because it seems that if someone is very inflamed, it, taking in like excessive polyunsaturated fats, whether they're omega-3 or 6, seems like it's going to it's going to be it's just not going to be worth the risk whereas if someone is less inflamed as you said someone might come to you who's a bit more jacked up they might get away with it because their inflammatory levels mightn't be as high and they might actually have beneficial uh benefits from the omega-3 rather than detrimental ones due to inflammatory levels would that make sense at all to you or do you think i'm talking crap there <laughs> well it makes logically it makes perfect sense it's just there needs to be more research done to actually like help us understand what's really going on. And this is why, in a lot of cases, I try to lean away from supplementation as much as possible. Yeah, me too, so, me too. That's where I am currently as well, Ex except maybe with B vitamin, B vitamins and mental health, and as you said, the, the neurotransmitter stuff as well. Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely times, but at least with that stuff. So even with like adrenal issues, like the B vitamins, vitamin C, they all help. But we're testing for that first. So we're seeing signs and symptoms of something going wrong. Uh, with the fish oil, it's just it's so widely marketed, and there may not be anything going wrong other than the person's just eating like shit, and you're compounding the effect. You can't just take a pill to make everything better. So, and in, you know, if you can just you don't need omega three fatty acid supplementation if you just remove the omega six fat or minimize them, not remove them, and then add in you know twice, twice a week have some fatty fish. Much yeah. easier, it's much safer, and we know it works. Yeah, yeah. What is your, uh, you, you might go off on a little rant here, and, and you're more than welcome to, but when you take in clients, like, uh, like I suppose this is like all of us, and, and you know, you show them some sort of foods, and they go, you know, there's a lot of cholesterol and saturated fat in here, you have coconut oil and real butter and eggs, and, you know, how do you how do you handle this whole situation? What What is your take on cholesterol and saturated fat? Yeah, so cholesterol and saturated fat, I actually think, like, the good thing is most doctors are understanding that eating a bunch of eggs is not going to raise, you know, cholesterol levels in the majority of the population. Yeah. So about 75% of the population ingested cholesterol and saturated fatty acids won't raise cholesterol levels. But that 25% who, who does, uh, it raises HDL and LDL proportionally, so the risk of heart disease doesn't doesn't change. Yeah. Uh, with, with that said, uh, there was a study, I want to say it was two years ago, done by the Norwegian uh, Institute that actually showed an inverse linear relationship uh, between cholesterol levels and overall mortality. So for women, the higher the cholesterol, the less chance of dying from everything. And for men, there was a U, an inverse U. So between 230 and 270 was the sweet spot for best overall uh, lifespan. Uh, so anything over 270, if I see in a client's lab work, we'll look into it a little bit more because high cholesterol is a symptom of something else not going. Exactly, not exactly. Going, yeah, not going yeah, right. yeah, it's, 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 so, a, it's a warning sign. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times it actually uh, tends to be a thyroid issue. So that, that peak reason hormone is extremely important for LDL receptor sensitivity. Yeah. So basically it comes down to, you know, it's not hearing the signal, LDL is just hanging out in the bloodstream a little bit too long and uh, like I said the fish oil the longer it hangs out in the uh, bloodstream the higher the oxidation rate so that's when the damage can actually occur and how how do you deal with, with say some clients who are still just have that you know indoctrination of oh I can't eat this my heart's going to explode <laughs> sometimes it ends as bliss but if I just tell them like oh yeah have, have you know steak and meat products is meat more than 50% fat anyway. Uh, throw some fish in there, everybody knows fish is healthy. So like, if they're not going to eat eggs, fine. Like, we can get the, the nutrients from other foods and stuff. So. But it ends up usually not, not being too, too big a deal. And I think a lot of times people are sitting in front of you and talking to you, and hopefully they trust you. Uh, that's, why, that's why they're there. Uh, yeah. So it's never really been an issue. Sometimes the fat and drugs are an issue. So that's when we'll actually sit down and we'll um, really, really talk about it. You know the pros and cons of statin drugs. Who it helps, who it probably doesn't have. Uh, the other thing too with high cholesterol is a lot of times it's insulin resistance in the liver. So we're sedentary, or uh, okay, we're eating five or six meals a day, and we're not doing anything active, and those insulin levels are really high. Our liver becomes resistant to the insulin, and it never releases its stored 
about other environmental factors so you know we talked about sleep with regards to health and wellness and obviously we've been talking about nutrition and definitely what about do you, do you ever take like environmental toxins uh what about the, the you know the mental emotional spiritual health of the person would you look into any of those areas as well with regards to you know getting their health back on track yeah so stress management is just as important as exercise and just as important as um, eating, eating healthy and uh especially where i live so i live kind of in a suburb of boston we're about 45 minutes outside the city so a lot of my clients are commuters into the city so they're sitting in traffic to land from work uh work tends to be pretty stressful they come home after sitting and then like you know your typical like daily stressors and if you are not doing something proactive to manage your stress you do not manage stress well everybody always says like oh I handle my stress well well oh great what do you do for it nothing I exercise great like that's a stressor too so what we try to do is like some of the suggestions I make to people when they're sitting in traffic is maybe make like a uh, like a CD of relaxing music try to take part in meditation and this is a lot harder than it sounds even if it's starting for a minute a day and then every week you have to find a minute or every day you have to find a minute. But if, it, if you're not doing something proactive to help stress management, you're going to run into problems as well. It's impossible to avoid. And all of this stuff is tied in. All of those same hormones are at work. And they're all interconnected. Absolutely. Well, what is your take on intermittent fasting? This, this, is, this is one of those where it's like, maybe maybe not yeah exactly but, uh, it well it depends <laughs> yeah exactly I'm, I'm not so i i have a very very small piece of uh my clientele that actually takes part in intermittent fasting i think for the general population we got to try everything else before we get into this whole restricting feeding because if those hormones aren't in their proper ratios if we're not sensitive to them all if sleep is that 16 hour window of not eating can be a stressor as well. Exactly. Uh, it, it can be. And people in that eight-hour window, they tend to under-eat, which nutritional deficiencies, calorie restriction, these are, these are all stressors. Uh, the people who I do have on an eight-hour feeding window, uh, basically they're on ketogenic diets, and I use MCT oils. Uh, so the carbs don't have to be super low, but they're taking, you know, six to eight tablespoons a day of MCT oils, so it actually adds, you know, anywhere between 600 and 800 calories. Uh, into their diet to make sure that they're not under eating. So there, there are benefits uh, to it, and I've seen it, you know, those tough weight loss clients, especially around the midsection, have worked with a few of them. But um, in general, I think intermittent fasting is a bad idea. I think the three meals, if you space them out five hours apart, you'll have enough fat burning, the hormones all be working in balance. And then there's no reason why you can't get the same effect of intermittent fasting going 10 to 12 hours overnight as you would with 16. To me, there's more. There's just as much of a reward in that 10 to 12 hour window as there is with a 16, it's a lot less risk. With regards to chronic degenerative diseases, and, and we, you know, we, we touched on, you touched on a few, so we, you know, obesity and heart disease, diabetes, uh, also cancer. In your opinion, how big can nutrition's impact be on these chronic degenerative diseases? I, I think for us here in America, 75% of the time. I saw a uh, graph yesterday that showed 42% of our population is either pre-diabetic or already diabetic. <laughs> uh, it, it's an amazing, amazing number. So 
another another area that I'm you know it's 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 like that conscious subconscious mind consciously when you explain these things to people like my father for instance like he knows he, he's starting to understand this stuff because he's got an iPhone now and he's on Facebook and he keeps sending me these things like oh look at these natural cures for this this and this and he's kind of he, he realizes that you know alternative health isn't like as I think quacky as he you know probably conventionally thought but at a subconscious level he, you know he hasn't changed any of his old habits so it's kind of like trying to understand how to change somebody's habit minds to get them to a healthy place i mean how do you like how have you seen that you know you, you get these clients and they you know, they understand you at a conscious level oh this makes sense yes the processed foods are out but it's like they have an emotional limbic brain connection to these foods you know what i mean like oh mom's cookies or i love that i love mcflurries and mcdonald's or it's just this emotional attachment they have and they just can't give up the habit of getting that like dopamine release from these foods so like how do you deal with that kind of more emotional side of the, the connection to food like so hopefully a lot of times the supplements help with some of that stuff. The emotional side of it, uh, it's really, really hard sometimes too because like every every time we celebrate it, we celebrate over high sugar food, yeah. ice cream, stuff like that. Uh, what I try to do is just we, we need to find a way that we can step in and break that habit. So finding that trigger of what's causing that habit. So uh, one of the big ones is um, like when people are at work every day around 2 or 3 o'clock, they might get like some type of snack food from the vending machine, right? So like a candy bar or something. And a lot of times it's just like, you know, once they realize they sit back, they actually think about it, it's like, you know what, it's just because I want to leave my desk. So interfering right when that trigger happens, so maybe two o'clock, a lot of times you have blood sugar, so hopefully like meals fix that. But get them going outside and just go for a walk, come back, and a lot of times they forget about it. And they just move on with their day. Or sometimes uh, maybe when they go to the vending machine at the time they meet another co-worker and they have a conversation. So it actually might not even be the food that they're, that they're kind of seeking out. It might just be the human interaction piece. So maybe just going to somebody's desk and having a conversation, calling somebody. Yeah. Like just finding what's causing that ha- habit and finding a way to step into before it happens. Yeah, because uh, you, you, yeah, you, you see a lot of the time with some food logs, a very clever thing is, you know, right, you know, the food log, what, you, what, what did you eat? Like, how did you feel? And who did you eat the food with? It's it's so funny because I had a guy like take a food diary once and uh, you know he came back to me and goes you know what I just realised I feel terrible all the time and like he didn't actually really kind of put two and two together until he actually documented objectively like he he was like I had breakfast this morning and literally two hours later I just felt dreadful and he's like I never really noticed. Yeah, and the good thing about the food bars too is that usually people are cheating at the same time every day yeah it, it, it's very rarely that like oh for breakfast today I can't take and the next day like I just couldn't help myself and I cake for dessert from dinner it's usually at the same times every day so when you actually go through it a lot of times you'd be like well you ate really poor the meal before all the time like breakfast is always a bagel or something and it's like oh well no wonder why at lunchtime you're always snacking on something bad because you got blood sugar issues you're craving amino acids and other nutrients like, we can fix that we can balance that uh, yeah. The amino acids work really, really great. So, uh, glutamine for sweet potato. I heard that's brilliant, yeah. It, it, it works right on the spot. So, a lot of times, if somebody's like, man, I'm craving something sweet, they just take a uh, 500 milligram pill of uh, glutamine, or even if you can break it apart and put the um, the actual glutamine on your tongue, it's actually really sweet, and uh, our brain can actually use it as a glucose source. So, it actually solves those problems right off the bat. 
Kev, are you, are you, are you familiar with Jack Cruz's work? And if you are, what do you think of it? Uh, I'm not super, super familiar of it. Uh, a lot of, like, the, it comes down to the, a lot of the fashion and the weapon stuff, and it, it does make sense. Like, I just, I just don't know if we're um, at a point where we can say, like, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. Well, his, uh, his, basic, his basic premise is three things. Well, it's a little more, but his basic left and reset is three things. You know, he, he believes manipulating left, like le- like just organizing left and through circadian rhythms, a seasonal paleo diet, and then cold thermogenesis, which is basically his adaptation to really cold type temperatures. Because he believes that he believes that there's two types of, of biology. There's warm adaptive biology, which is what most humans are, unless you're living on the Antarctic or li- living up, sorry, not the Arctic, I should say, living up in the north in in the North Pole somewhere or something like that. Uh, and then there's a cold adapted biology and he, he believes that when humans are cold adapted their ability to do just activities is just they're, they're just superhuman and he, he, he'd reference like the Sherpas and Mount Everest and Wim Hof and all this and just they, you know, he, they have better immunity they can exercise for longer they have better strength and he just believes that that adaptation to cold is a, like cold adapted mammals are just at an advantage to warm adapted mammals so that, that's 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 and he also believes the cold kind of helps with inflammation levels and stuff like that and insulin sensitivity and it just helps with leptin sensitivity. But he basically uses that. He basically uses the seasonal paleo diet, circadian biology, and cold thermogenesis protocols. Yeah, I mean the cold, the cold protocols. It'll be um, be interesting to to try them out and see how how that works and stuff. However, um. To try, trying, trying to get regular people to do that though I'd say is a bit <laughs> you're just going to hop into an ice bath there for, for 30 minutes or yeah I mean it's, it's interesting uh, obviously the, the population that he, that he mentioned in the uh, the cold how they're you know, more immune to disease and such uh, and the Inuit for a long time had a uh, the highest life expectancy on earth yeah I mean, there, there may be something to it, but I think the biggest thing is, like, with this whole weapon thing, we, we just don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't it's know. It's a brand new hormone. We, we have no idea. Yeah. And, like, as, as we learn more, I think, uh, you know, hopefully we get a better understanding, but the problem is the research is done just based on how weapon affects weight loss so they can develop a pharmacological agent that can actually reverse obesity and make billions of dollars as opposed to just maybe just understanding nothing's general purpose and then finding a way to make sure that it's acting the way it should be acting. What, what, yeah. is, what, what is your take, just completely switching topics right now, but what, what is your take on vegan, vegetarian nutritional protocols, long-term vegan, vegetarian nutritional protocols? This, I don't think it's much. I mean, it's better than obviously maybe a standard American diet, maybe. Uh, removing protein is a bad, bad idea. Those amino acids, they're our precursors for our neurotransmitters. So they're responsible for our mood, our well-being, cellular repair. And I know, like, vegetarians and stuff, you know, will try to combine, vegans will try to combine certain, like, legumes and different uh, plant matter to make complete protein. But the problem is some of those amino acids are actually wrapped up in cellulose. We don't contain cellulase, the enzymes are breaking apart. So the bioavailability of those amino acids is minuscule. I mean, think of long-term vegetarians, too, if they're pale, brittle hair, uh, nails, they look like they're withering away, and, like, it's just the mood, the general just outlying mood is bad. 
long term, it's, it's not a good idea. And then it, it really messes with your digestion. So a lot of long-term vegetarians stop producing enough hydrochloric acid. So the second they do reinstitute some type of meat product, they run into all kinds of digestive issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about, um, like, detoxes? Do you have any protocols with detoxes? Is that where you may use, you know, maybe a week-long vegan type diet to detox or would you ever go that would you ever go that extreme or is detox you just taking away the crappy foods detox to me is just taking away the crappy foods let's just set the stage it's starting today uh i think the last thing i would ever want to do with a client in front of me is give them something that's just going to make them even more uncomfortable than removing certain food pieces yeah, yeah. um I, I think our intestines and a good microbiota in our intestines have a really really good way of surviving and reversing the affairs. Uh, removing those refined carbs, uh, you end up starving some of the bad bacteria anyway. So maybe it, it may take a little bit longer than if we did a uh, you know, week-long juice cleanse or something, but it's more comfortable. The end result is going to be better in technical health regardless. Um, and I just think adherence, like trying to, especially like if somebody's eating like a typical American high carb grain based diet and you remove all of that and just give them liquid food for a, a few days they're going to go nuts like I, I would rather just like from today let's move forward let's eat good food let's do everything right and everything will take care of itself yeah yeah definitely um, with regards to just other supplements um Vitamin D, probiotics, multivitamin, like protein for your athletes or even your general clients, I mean, the creatine, like would you recommend any of these things? What else? And, and if you do, what do you look for in these um, products? Um, actually, I don't recommend many um, supplements for my clients. Um, we do do them um, outside of the, the specific amino acids or any specific protocol. Uh, multivitamin for sure. Vitamin D in the winter. Uh, fish oil for those who are in, you know, coming to me metabolically compromised and, you know, we're trying to reverse some uh, metabolic issues. But other than that, it's uh, vitamin D and a multi-mineral. As for athletes, um, if they need the added protein, uh, there's a lot of good grass-fed uh, whey products out there. Um, I'm not dead set against dairy either, so if they even add in some, um, you know, as long as they tolerate it well, if they add in some dairy products, yeah. some raw milk or whatever post-workout, that's fine with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the supplementation, I mean, creatine in the, uh, you know, in the research looks great. Uh, the placebo effect, even if it doesn't, like I think for some, works great. Uh, but I, I think you can train your body to do a lot of the, uh, those physiological adaptations on its own without any extra supplementation. Last, last so two, some of the uh, supplementation, like, uh, like taking vitamins and stuff post-workout because of their antioxidant effects can actually negate some of the training effects. Yeah, that yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I read that in Joel Jameson's Heart, heart Rate uh, Variability book, and uh, I've actually heard that before where, you know, Joel was basically saying that, you know, the, the bad, the quote-unquote bad things that we think are bad, he says, aren't necessarily bad things, that, you know, so he's like, you don't actually want to flush those out of the system so quickly. Um, because they, they're going to force the body to you know adapt and get the adaptation that we want He's and he kind of said it's more so when you're in, in season that you want to use those recovery protocols yeah that makes sense but, that 100% makes sense in season yeah yeah but um, last two questions Kevin just uh, with regards to the you know the conventional medical establishment 
let's just say, I don't know, the powers that be turned around and said, Kevin Can, you are now in charge of every single medical establishment in the world. You have to write the, the, the new textbook for, for our future medical doctors. What would what would it contain? Uh, basically, like, looking at preventative medicine. So, ways to minimize and mitigate oxidative stress. So, making sure that, you know, our diet, it should be causing us. Um, stress is caused by everything. So, our diet, because of those phytochemicals in our plant matter, it should cause a little bit of stress. We adapt, we come back stronger. We want to make sure we're not creating too much stress. So, making sure that, you know, our diet is not creating too much oxidative stress. Yeah. We're not lacking sleep, creating oxidative stress. And just kind of living right the, the way that, you know, we should live. Sleep eight to ten hours a day, eat healthy meals. Practice some meditation every once in a while. Like some of these alternative methods have been around for thousands and thousands of years. Our, our medical community has been around for a couple hundred. It's, it's arrogant to think that we know more now than they've known for something that's lasted over thousands of years. It's, like it's Chinese medicine. It's I don't so, understand Chinese medicine, but if, if it's still around, it obviously works. It's so, it's it's so funny you say that because what we know as quote unquote conventional medicine, you know, like so just the, the conventional establishment. Uh, you know, it calls all like everything outside it alternative, and I'm I'm always exactly kind of what you said there. I'm like, these alternative medicines have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and conventional medicine has only been around for a few hundred years. So I'm like, conventional medicine is alternative. Alternative medicine is medicine. <laughs> so I mean, that's just last last thing then, Kevin is just um, apart from plugging your website at the end, but resources. So you know, courses, books, DVDs, webinars, seminars, workshops, blogs. What should people be checking out if they want to learn more about what you do? Uh, yeah, so my website, geneticpotentialnutrition.com, has some information on it. Uh, Rob Wolf's Paleo Solution book, uh, I recommend it to all of my clients. It's funny. It uh, gets across the information extremely well. Uh, and it's not as dry as some of the other ones. But on top of it, uh, Chris Kressler has a great blog. That's been. Let me see now. Forty-seven minutes of your time. We said forty-five. Um, and I know you're. You know, you're very busy. You're. You're making a big move at the moment. I think. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Uh, I'm moving down into the city. So. All right. So, Kev, I, I really appreciate you taking taking an hour. Just. I always say this at the end of my shows. I reached to say it at the start before we go on air, but just just hang on after I wrap up the show and I'll just I'll just say goodbye to you and thanks again. So, but guys, that was Mr. Kevin Carr. Check out his or Kevin Can, excuse me. That was Mr. Kevin Can. Check out his website as he just said there, and uh, check out any of the resource he mentioned. Really great podcast. That was a jam packed, almost forty eight minutes full of information. So, everyone, take care. I'll talk to you soon and be well.